this morning. If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 11 as we pick up where we left off. Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through verse 9 in chapter 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred and Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Isaac. Or Iscah, sorry. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came into Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said, verse 1 of chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai or Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Genesis chapter 12, the end of chapter 11, is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. This is a passage that is so important that if you read through the Pentateuch, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, every single one of them closes with some statement about where they are in the land. In some sense, in fulfillment or the search of the fulfillment of this very promise to Abram. This is the promise for which the Jews still hold fast to today. And many, as they interpret the book of Revelation, other places are looking back to passages just like this and looking and seeing the fulfillment of God upon them. But the name of Abram is a name that is extremely important. Consider this this morning. If you pass by not only our church, but if you pass by a synagogue or a mosque, all of them would be saying that they are children of Abraham. Consider that. A church, a mosque, a synagogue, three of the world's primary religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, all claim that they are children of Abraham, that he is the father of their faith. So this impacts not only our understanding of the world today as we study Genesis 12. In some ways, it gives you a framework of how you interpret the rest of the world around you. Now, remember the context. We're picking up again as we just finished chapter 11, where the people were there and, and they were trying to build the Tower of Babel, right? And so they were making this tower in the city. And remember, their, their purpose was we're going to make a name for ourselves unless we be scattered throughout the earth. So they were seeking their own glory and their own security. Remember how God came down and confused the language and scattered them throughout the region. And we might hear that and see that story and think, well, that was the bad guys. 
But today's story shines light on some good guys. And the truth is, for Terah, who is a descendant of Seth, back in Genesis 4, this godly line that was beginning to call upon the name of the Lord, this reminder of this fulfillment to Genesis 3 and 15, that God was going to have this godly seed that was going to be raised up. But what we see from the line of Seth and these descendants of ultimately Abram and his father Terah are, is that, guess what, they're not faithfully following the Lord. And so we're reminded from Abram's story today that God doesn't call us, save us, and bless us because we are qualified. Hear that again. God doesn't save us, call us, or, or, or accept us, bless us because we are qualified. Abram's story says to us, God calls us despite the fact that we aren't qualified. In other words, right, we might say this big truth today, God calls the unqualified. Hear that today. God doesn't, again, you might have heard that refrain, right? That God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. You've probably heard that before. And it kind of sticks in a passage like this. But what I want you to understand is more than just saying, well, okay, this is about me being unqualified. Indeed, it is. But I think it ultimately says more to us about who God is than even what it says about us. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you're going to be there again in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to look briefly there a little bit more in chapter 11, but then mainly into chapter 12. But as you do so, I want you to wrestle with maybe just thinking about the ways in which God is calling you or shaping your desires. Some of you, that's to salvation. Others of you are wrestling with a call maybe to ministry or missions. Some of you are wrestling with just how God's shaping your desires and trusting Him to provide a spouse or ways in which maybe you'll serve the church or provide children for your family. You're wrestling with these many things that God is setting before you, urging you. To share the gospel with a friend. And so you're wrestling with many things that Genesis 12 is going to address today. Again, as we wrestle with this idea, God calls the unqualified. And ultimately that says more about God than it does us. But might we ask the question today, how do we respond to God's call? As we look to the story of Abram, right? The Abram means just simply father and Abraham means father of many. So again, this is Abram before his name is changed to Abraham, but it's the same man. And so we might ask, how do we respond to God's call? And I think three things stand out. The first is this. We respond to the call of God by grace. It's important today that you're going to see that Abraham, uh, he has many obstacles. I'm going to highlight just three of them. Abraham's three obstacles that seem to disqualify him for the work that God intends to do. And the point in being is to show us, guys, Abram is... Guys, he is desperately dependent upon the grace of God. And if you're being honest today, you and I are too. We are desperately and utterly dependent upon God's grace and not our own merit. So let's look today, at, again, at Abram and some of his obstacles. As we wrestle with this first truth, we respond to the call of God by grace. Pick up, if you would, beginning in, let's see, let's look at verse, let's read verse 1 and 2 again of Genesis 12. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, right at the outset, right, we're wrestling with some truths that he's going to make of Abram this great nation and he's going to bless Abram. Well, the problem is, remember that we heard back in verse 30 of chapter 11. Now, Sarah, which is Abraham's wife or Abram's wife, she's what, church? barren and she has no child now how do we square that with the fact that he's saying i'm going to make of you a great nation and i will bless you 
it seems that he's got a big problem. Like, how's, how's Abram ever going to overcome this? God, like, do you not, have you forgotten? Like, I, I don't have any children. Like, we've been trying, but Lord, it just hasn't happened. And it's important. Scholars tell us the word blessed in the Old Testament implies three things. Prosperity, fertility, and victory. It seems that, guess what, because Abram and Sarai are not, not having children, that they aren't being blessed by the Lord. Again, because one of those things is fertility. And we might say that the culture around them is looking at them and saying, well, what's wrong with them? Why are they, aren't they having children? Why is God against them or the gods against them? However, they might have understood that as we unpack it further in, in the land of Ur, the Chaldeans, and, and Iran. But I think the framework of John 9 is helpful. Remember John chapter 9, the, the disciples are around Jesus and they ask him this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born what, church? Blind. Why? Because the assumption was throughout that culture, right, and throughout many cultures throughout history has been, guess what, if something's wrong, it's because you've sinned and messed up. That was the assumption. In other words, we might interpret this text to say to us, Abram is seemingly disqualified. But the truth is, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And so this first obstacle that's against them, the fact that they don't have children and God's going to make of them a great nation, is a reminder that God's grace is overcoming Abram's weakness. Are you resting there? Your weaknesses, whatever they are. And if we're honest, beloved, they're many. Our weaknesses are many. But God's grace is greater. His grace is greater. Secondly, right, this fact is truth. Look what he says again. I will make of you a great nation. Well, the reality is Abram's got an obstacle right now. He has no army. And the problem is, look what it says, begin back in verse 6. Look what he says to the Okamore. At that time, right, as they think about going on into the land, it says that time the Canaanites were in the land, right? So again, this is written, Moses is writing there as the people are making their way out of the wilderness. And again, he's, he's giving some reference about the fact that they're moving in. But again, the Canaanites are there in the land. And Abram's got no army, so how in the world is he going to go in and take this land? You might imagine some young boy, maybe right now in Ukraine. And the Lord shows up and speaks to him and says, You know what? One day I'm going to raise up you and your family. And I'm going to use you to squash the rebellion in Russia. I'm going to use you to crush them, and you're going to overcome them and take that land. Can you imagine being a child and hearing that and thinking, There's no way. Look, like, there's no How could, that's That's impossible. In some ways, that feels the magnitude of what Abram's dealing with here. He cannot do this himself. Like, God, how are you going to make from me a great nation? Do you know how many enemies are there? Do you know what kind of people are there? Again, this text is saying to us, guys, our God is bigger than we think. He is greater and more glorious than our minds have conceived or our hearts feel and believe. But again, Abram has some obstacles. He is childless and he has no army. And third, he has another obstacle. And this one maybe is the most difficult. Abram's family was serving other gods. Remember the, the name of Abram's dad? His name is Terah. That, that word implies or means moon. And if you think about the fact that they were in Ur of the Chaldeans, this is somewhere, I think, southeast of modern-day Baghdad, there in Iraq. But it was Ur of the Chaldeans, and that day and time was the center of lunar worship. They were worshiping other gods. And you might wonder, well, is that really true? Look at me, would. Joshua chapter 24 answers that emphatically for us. Verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, 
long ago. So again, this is Joshua way down the road, looking back, speaking to the time when Terah was from Ur of the Chaldeans, even when they ventured into Iran, before they came into the land, the promised land. So this is again, this is Joshua looking back when they were there in Ur and in Haran. Look what it says. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor. And they did what, church? They served other gods. Like, I mean, we might hear the first two obstacles, right? That, that he's childless and he has no army. You think, well, man, listen, Abram can't do anything about that. But this one stings. This stings, why? Not simply, right, that it's like, oh, man, they're serving other gods. Remember again who Terah is. He is a descendant of Seth, the godly line. This is supposed to be the godly line. The guys are supposed to be doing it right. He's a part of the godly seed. But they're serving other gods. Could that be said of you this morning? You're you're professing to be a follower of Christ, but man, there's a lot of other gods you're serving. Giving your time to, your attention to, your passions to, your finances to. And very little of it to God. I think Abram is a reminder that he isn't being blessed because he's being good. Abram is being blessed because God is good. Isn't that good news? Like, man, I, maybe I haven't been getting it right, Blake. You know what? You're, you're, it, man, it's true. Like, check it out. Like, check. That's true. I, I, there's other gods, other things I'm pursuing instead of the Lord. But the reminder is, Abram, guys, listen, from the outset, I want us to be clear on this. It isn't like God's like, oh, man, who's the best guy I could find? I'm going to pick him. No, Abram seems to be one of those guys that's like left there standing at the end when they're pick, picking kickball teams. And it's like, who? Uh, you want to take him or him, right? It's that moment. Again, our culture wants to say that everything's earned, not what? Not given. But God says it's never earned, always given. It's always of grace. You see, the anthem of Scripture is that God continually calls the unqualified time and time again. It's not just men like Abram. I mean, think about Gideon. He says, like, listen, Lord, I'm the least in my family, right? My clan's the smallest of all, and I'm the least in my father's house. And God says, good, I'll call you. Think about Jonah, like Jonah, like, I mean, he's totally derailed, like rebelled so much that he's gone as far away across the map to the other side to get away from God and what God's calling him to do. And yet God, long after the fish again, vomits him up and he calls him again. We might think Jonah's surely disqualified, but God continues to call him. Think about Levi sitting there at that tax collector's booth, even his name, right? The tribe of Levi, the priest. And this guy's a, he's an enemy to his own people. He's selling his own people out. He's taxing his own people. And Jesus says to Levi, Matthew, rise and come follow me. Paul, I mean, think about what Paul did. He persecuted the church. He says, I'm the least of all the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called one. I mean, he says in 1 Timothy that he is the chief of what? Sinners. And God says, yeah, I'll take him. Beloved, the story of Abram is one that runs from Genesis to Revelation It is a reminder that we ultimately are saved by grace. And you need to rest there this morning. Resting there. Each of us today got to square with that, that we aren't worthy or deserving. We might get our feathers ruffled because we think it's always the good guys that God uses. Of course, he's going to use them to be the heroes. But the Bible has a sobering truth for us. There are no good guys. There are no good guys. I mean, that's not just me like conjecturing here and like shining some light on the, on the truth of the Scripture from my own lens. No, literally the scrip- Scriptures say that. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 12. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does what? Good. Not even one. And then we hear later in verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures are clear. There's no one who does good. Not even one. There are no good guys. So like Abram, right, and many others and us, right, men and women that fill the pages of this book, we have to come to the place of realizing what Brother Todd was showing us in Ephesians 2 last week. We are dead in our sins. We're under following the influence and the power of Satan. We are by nature children of wrath. We've got to wrestle with that this morning. Because if you ignore that and close your mind off to that, then we have this assumption because we've grown up maybe in this area of the, of, of the world and we've always been in church that we assume we're the good guys. Of course God would want us on our team. But the Scripture is clear. There's not good guys. There's not good girls. It is by grace. It is God's mercy this morning. And when you begin to wrestle with that and begin to accept and treasure that it's by grace that you've been saved, that you begin to start singing differently, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves what, church? A wretch like me. I don't know about you this morning. I was struggling. One of the songs we sang, right, that I'm going to follow you like by your own hand, you leadeth me. No murmuring and no repine. I got to look up a little bit more on what repine exactly means, but I know what no murmuring looks like. Following the Lord faithfully, but it's just God's grace that should overwhelm our souls. So again, God displays himself here. It's the response of his grace. Secondly, we respond to the call of God by faith. Here again, the blessing on Abram in verse 2 and 3, again, as we respond to the call of God by grace, he says, I will, make, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Bible readers have noticed that there's about seven different blessings being bestowed here upon Abram. Listen to what it says. Number one. He says, I'll make of you, there in verse 2, I'll make of you a great nation. Not just simply a great family. Right? I mean, you could imagine that would be enough. Like, I mean, they've gone all these years and they're barren. There's no children. Like, it would be great enough to God say, I'm going to give you children. Like, God, that, man, that's enough. But God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Secondly, he says there in verse 2, he says, I am going to bless you. Remember, blessing meant the things in the Old Testament that Abram didn't have. Prosperity, fertility, and victory. Might this remind us that in our day, what we call luck or success, the Old Testament calls blessing. Might this text help serve to remind us that we need to change our perspective and maybe even our vocabulary? We use so often those words, lucky and success and all these things, but man, the Bible's calling them blessings, beloved. James mentioned it earlier, but yesterday I was just around a brother who every time I asked the question, how are you doing? He's like, I'm blessed. And every time it's a reminder, like, hey, listen, the things that are happening to me are not ultimately the result of my own good works. It's God at work. It just humbles me every time I hear it. I'm like, man, I want my heart posture to be more like that. I'm blessed. I'm not lucky. It's not me doing it. So, again, we need to change not only our perspective in life, but often, beloved, our vocabulary. Third, look what he says there in verse 2. I will bless you and I will make your name great. It's ironic, right? I mean, that making of your name great, that's the very thing the people in Babel are after. As if God says, listen, the way to making a great name is not through your own sweat, but it's actually through surrender. We might hear Jesus saying to us today, if anyone would come after me, 
Let him or her deny themselves. Take up their cross and follow me. It's the call to make your name great. He says, look what he says, so that you will be a blessing. He's going to spread hope to all the other unlikely people. Maybe you're here today and you feel like, man, the most unlikely person. Like God would never, ever want you. You could never, ever be a part of God. And the good news is that God, in His mercy and His grace, it triumphs over our sin. God is using a man like Abram that seems so many reasons he would be disqualified. But it's God that's using him to be a blessing. Fifth and sixth, again, these, just again, the magnitude of these blessings that God's plant pouring out on Abram. The fifth and sixth seem to go together. Look what he says in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. So again, there's this reminder of the blessing and the curse. And it depends upon how others treat. And guess what? This continues to go throughout the story of Abram and Abraham, right? I mean, even pagan kings, if they treat Abraham and the people of Israel well, it goes well for them. But so often when they don't, guess what? God judges them when doing things like closing up the wombs of their women or or, or those in, in the king's household. It's a real warning, a real threat, like how you treat Abram and Abraham has great impacts upon you. That's what he says. I'll bless those who bless you, but him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then we come to the seventh one. And remember, if you've been with us, right, the number seven indicates fulfillment, completion. It's as if to say, hey, listen, this is where everything's pointing. So let's draw our attention to it just for a moment at the end of verse three. He says, and in you. That's a, it's a statement we could wrestle with some more, but take it with you. Think on it. Meditate more today. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, who have no children, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. It's a reminder, God isn't blessing Abram just to be blessing Abram. God has a bigger picture of what he's doing here. But might we ask how? How is God going to bless all the families on the earth? How is he going to do that? Well, the truth is you can't stop reading Genesis chapter 12. You've got to keep reading. And in fact, if you come to the New Testament, the very first book of the New Testament is what book? Matthew, come on, stay with me. The very first book in the New Testament is the book of what? Matthew. And if you read Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, here's what you're going to hear. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It's interesting, right? This word genealogy is actually the word Genesis. He's saying that, guess what? Matthew, from the opening pages, is sounding alarm and saying, guess what? This son of Abraham, this one who all the earth is going to be blessed, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, this is the guy. This is how the ultimate fulfillment happens. And not just simply through Abram, it's ultimately through his seed. A descendant of Abraham is going to come on the scene, and he's going to bless all the families on the earth. How? He's going to live the life that you and I were called to live. And he's going to die the death that we deserve to die. And he's going to be raised the resurrection that all those who are in Christ will be. That's it. So Matthew's saying from the opening pages, guys, you've been waiting since Genesis chapter 12, even Genesis 3, this, this hint of the seed of the woman. It's here. This is the Genesis. This is the beginning. This is the descendant of Abraham. This is the promised Messiah. This isn't easy to believe. It's not easy for us, and it wasn't easy for Abram. Why? Because it all requires faith. Did you hear what God called him to do prior to that? Look back to me, you would. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. He says, Abram, leave your country, leave your community, leave your family. It's a hard moment. 
And if it wasn't hard enough, listen to what he says here. Look at how God answers this. To the land what, church? But I'll show you. He didn't even tell him where. Just land and I'll show you. I mean, let's be honest. Like most of us, we aren't going anywhere until we see something on Zillow. And God, listen, it's not only God doesn't say, I'm, I'm gonna, it's not only sight unseen. I'm not even going to give you the address. You're not going to get the GPS coordinates. I think we, we resist God because we like to tell God, I'll be happy to go if I know where we're going and it makes sense to me. That's not the call of God here. God doesn't always show us the path forward. He doesn't always lay everything out for us. Beloved, listen, as one pastor noted, God doesn't do that here and he doesn't do it throughout Abraham's life. I mean, just like Abraham here is probably wondering, God, where? And God just simply says, I'll show you later. Later he's going to say, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham might be wondering, well, how? And he says, well, I'll show you later. Just trust me. Finally, he's going up to the mountain and he's going to put his son to death. And Isaac himself is asking, like, God, how, how, Dad, how are we going to have the sacrifice? And he, he's learning from God. Abram just simply says, the Lord will provide, son. Let's just climb. You see, I think that's Christianity in a large framework of what he's doing in the life of Abram. Christianity is not having all the answers. It's just believing that God does. You don't always have the light down the, all the way to the end of the tunnel, right? I mean, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But we can't always see where we're headed, beloved. It's trust. It's obedience. Might I ask you, what do you do in those kind of moments? Maybe we would just be more direct. What are you doing now? Because I'm assuming you're having those kind of moments. What are you doing with how God is leading and directing your life and your desires? Might we ask the simple question, what does Abram do? Look at verse 4. So Abram went. Abram went. Right? There, that's, there's a climactic moment. He hears this. He doesn't get again. There's not a picture of the property. This is not all the things that are going to happen. It's not how good it's going to go. There's not. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Again, God doesn't give him the map, but he gives him something even better, a promise. Right? We might hear, again, in Hebrews chapter 11. I thought I'd put it on here, but I didn't. Hebrews chapter 11. Here, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go, and he went out. Listen to this statement, verse 8. Not knowing where he was going. I know it's, it seems oftentimes unique but with college students. They're wrestling a lot with what am I going to do when I graduate, or what's going to be next, or what's going to happen. And often my response is I say, look, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says that Abraham left going out not knowing where he was going. Listen, you don't have to know where you're going. You just got to know who you're following. Are you with me? I mean, just as college students, and maybe you're there right now in a season of life, and you're trying to figure out what is next. Again, we don't, have to always, we don't always know where we're going, but we know who we're following. That's what Hebrews 11, 8 says. He went out not knowing where he was going. Commenting on this verse, Pastor Kevin DeYoung says this. I thought it was so great. It's better to go with your eyes closed, holding the Lord's hand, than to go with your eyes open in your own strength. It's better to go with your eyes closed, holding the Lord's hand. Might, again, we might see Grant and his little girl up here, right? Than to go with your eyes open in your own strength. I'll be honest, Emily and I, right now, we're struggling, right? Where are we going to go? Where are we going to live? Who are we going to even live by? It's nothing like Abraham, but I can tell you for us, it's kind of like that man in Mark 9, right? I do believe, Lord, but help me overcome what? My unbelief. Just struggling. Let's be honest. Faith, guys, it makes us uncomfortable. 
Right now, you've probably got people in your life that need to hear some truth from you. But it may make that relationship uncomfortable. And because of that, you're just kind of like, eh, I don't think so. I'd rather just keep the relationship good and not speak truth unto them. My guess is for Abram, it would probably have been more comfortable to stay in Ur or in Haran with the family. But beloved, whether God's calling you to walk across the street or go across the globe, if you look to yourself, you're going to find reasons to doubt. If you look to yourself, you'll find reasons why it would be safer to stay. But faith trusts God even when we don't know where we're going. Some of you maybe today are in uncomfortable marriages. It's going to be easier just to pack it up and leave. But faith compels you to trust God's word. It was God who said, what he has joined together, let no man what? Separate. Today, some of you are uncomfortable because you consider leading family worship in your home or maybe teaching that Sunday school class or starting to serve with children and youth. But, beloved, faith is our response to God's call. Others here sense God shaping your desires, maybe to consider pursuing a career or taking a job. Because it's going to be a great way to serve the least of these. But that means for you, lower pay and a life without all the razzle-dazzle. Might today's text remind you that faith makes us uncomfortable. But God can and should be trusted. So again, we hear these truths that we respond to God's call by grace. We respond to God's call by faith. The third point and the last one is going to be much briefer, but it's still such impactful. I want to draw our attention to it. We respond to the call of God by worshiping. Look at your wood, verse 7 and 8 of Genesis 12. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai, or Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Twice we hear, right again, this response that he builds an altar to the Lord. Right? He does it there. Again, in verse 8, he builds an altar to the Lord and he calls upon the Lord's name. It's indicating that, that Abram is there worshiping. And so it's important, right, that, again, the world's been coming apart at the seams. We've seen not only a flood that's wiped out the vast majority of all of humanity except for eight people, it didn't take many generations before those who, again, came along after the flood and began to build a, a tower and a city to make a name for themselves and to reject God's call to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now this man, Terah, is a descendant from the godly line. He appears to be the last hope, and he's out there serving other gods. The Bible's truthful. It doesn't take us long, no matter what we have seen God do, to get our eyes off of him. But God in his extravagant grace calls Abram and promises to bless the nations through him. And what should he do in response? What should we do in response who have heard God's grace? I think the reminder is, is this. Worship. Worship. I think one of the temptations can be when you hear this text of Abram, you're like, man, I've got to get out there. I've got to get going. I've got to get after it. I, I'm with you. We do. But, beloved, we can't forget what fuels our going. It's our staying and our worshiping. It's one of the reasons why Sunday morning is so valuable. It's why we guard it. It's why you schedule your week around it. It's why missing this would be the exception and not the rule. Because your heart to do all those going and doing and being must first come with abiding and worshiping in Him. And beloved, if we're willing to schedule and make it a priority on Sundays, what about Monday through Saturday? And just our own private alone time. It's an encouragement to all of us. Listen, beloved, just stop and say, God, thank you. Thank you. Maybe you hear this and you think, I could never trust God like that. I could never do what Abram did. 
The reminder is, to, again, get our focus off of ourselves and look unto Christ. Why? Because what did he do? He left the ultimate security, didn't he? He left the ultimate father's house. I mean, he leaves his dad, Terah, in there in Haran and leaves and goes to the land. He doesn't know where he's going. But Jesus himself, he left glory, heaven, abiding there in the presence of the Father, at the right hand of the Father, and he comes to the earth. Why? Why would he do this? For us. Because he loves us. This showers, this Abram with his uncontainable grace is a reminder of God's grace and kindness toward each of us. So this morning, I might ask the unbelievers in this room, would you be honest and admit because of your sin that you are unqualified to come to God? But the good news is, Abram didn't receive the blessing by works. No, Galatians chapter 3 tells us this. It says, The Scriptures preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, listen to this, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Maybe you'd say, man, I would love for God to give that promise to me. I would love to be a part of that. The Bible says you can by faith. This morning, are you willing to turn from your sin and look upon the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for you, who lived the life that you were called to live and died the death you deserve to die? unbelievers in this room this text says to us all god doesn't love us accept us or call us because we are so good no he loves and accepts and calls us despite the fact that we are so bad it's the good that's why the that's why it's gospel that's what galatians 3 says the gospel was preached beforehand to abram how is this gospel it's saying abram you've not earned or deserved this and you never will so beloved i want to encourage you this morning rest in christ to the unbeliever Come and rest in Christ. To the church this morning, I think we often feel overwhelmed and think there's no way that I could ever answer what God's leading me to do. Remember what the promise is. Verse 2, after all this, leave your family, your household, your community. He just simply says, and I will. Let's not forget that, beloved. It's God's going to do it. Whatever God's calling you to do. Again, it may be to walk across the street and talk to a neighbor. Maybe share the gospel this week. Maybe to serve, right? Maybe you haven't had opportunities to go to Changers or Oklahoma or Kenya with our team or wherever, other places they've been this, this summer. But maybe you could give some time this Tuesday night to come serve here in our community. Maybe you could show up and be a part of that in some way. Again, how is that going to happen? God's the one that's going to do it. To your heart today, maybe you just need to wrestle with asking the question, am I faithfully obeying what God has set before me in the Scriptures? Ask yourself this morning, In what ways am I resisting what God is leading me to do? Right now in your life, what ways are you resisting maybe having that conversation or obeying and following what God's leading you to do? Lastly, I think this text calls us to ask the question, have I heard the voice of Christ? Where might you hear God's voice? Because I think a lot of us are saying, like, man, if God would just speak to me like Abram, well, beloved, let us not forget the words of Hebrew. He has spoken to us once and for all through his son, through the word of God. It was the great preacher Robert McMurray McShine who said this, When the voice of Christ speaks through the word, then you will arise and leave all and follow him. I want to ask you then, have you heard Christ speak to you through this word? If so, does your life reflect one of leaving and following and surrendering? It should, beloved. It should. This is the example of all those who are in the faith of Abraham. Remember, beloved, it's by grace through faith that you are saved. 
It is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's been the testimony, not from Ephesians 2, but also from Genesis 12 and all the way in between. And it will be throughout all eternity. This morning, would you come? Would you pray with me? Father, in the strong name of Christ, we thank you for your word. Strengthen us now to worship you, God, and respond, thanking you, God, that none of us here are qualified enough, good enough. We thank you and praise you, God, that by your grace, as we think about, there are qualifications in Scripture. Lord, this doesn't exclude those. So, Lord, we thank you and praise you for the ways in which you have made us qualified. But, God, we realize that even that is of grace and not our own. So, Lord, thank you and praise you, God. Thank you for your word this morning. Father, thank you that you've given us your truth. Strengthen us now to humbly obey it. We pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen.